Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder, too. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach. I run Strength Guild. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, all-around amazing person. Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. <laughs> I'm a faculty member at the Kerrigan Institute and owner of Extreme Human Performance, and I'm recording this from Austin, Texas. Cool. Mm. Never know where you are, my man. Oh. Yeah, I'll be in South Padre hopefully later today. So. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I, I'm going to start with a little bit of news. We're going to do news mail and meat talk. So brace yourselves, everybody. Uh, let's start Isn't with... powerlifting meat or like food meat? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, M-E-E-T, power meats, powerlifting meats, because Phil's about to compete, right? So we're going to take the opportunity, so... Um, I want to start with revisiting a question or two from uh, one of our uh, Neils from last week. <laughs> you guys have become like brothers in my mind. Um, so uh, we tabled a couple of his questions because they were quite good. So here is uh, another question from Neil who did ask, if you remember, uh, one of the questions was about unusual types of meat uh, last time. But this one is about training. Uh, I work an interesting schedule where I fly north uh, to work camp for seven days, then I'm off for seven days. Um, I mainly power lift and switch to strongman lifts for the summer uh, and try for three to four intense sessions in my week off. Okay, so it looks like he has a very um, unusual, like alternating schedule. Uh, at work, it's 12-hour days with lots of walking, bending, lifting, and moving. He says occupation, heavy-duty mechanic. Uh, couple that with regular routing of the day, uh, eating, bathing, family time, etc. Uh, there's not a lot of time to lift. When I have tried working out, I feel like I am working backwards due to fatigue and compounding lack of sleep throughout the work week. Is it better to skip working out altogether and just focus on my days off as being off? Uh, I alternate between a week of nights and then a week of day shifts. Oh, man. So this is a very tough work schedule. It sounds to me, if I can boil this down, and Neil, forgive me if this is not correct, but um, you have a pretty heavy job. You know, you're working for seven days straight. You don't get a lot of off days. You've got other responsibilities. Uh, should you really take your off days super off uh, because you're dealing with fatigue and that sort of thing? Um, skip working out altogether or focus on my days off. I'm not sure exactly what he means. Uh, Mike. It means on the week off training more than I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm thinking so. So what would your advice be to someone on a swing shift and they're, you know, they're fatigued and I think there might be an element of frustration, right? Like when you're, when you're actually away yeah. from work, should you throw yourself into your training or should you just try to sleep or, or what? Like how do you deal with weird schedules? Yeah, I mean, that? I would say that, and Phil may have a different answer, but if it was my client, I would look at that week that he's on, you know, doing everything he can to try to recover, you know, how much nutrition can he get prepared ahead of time, you know, things of that nature. Can he keep his movement pretty good during the day? Because obviously he's doing a pretty heavy mechanical uh, type job and, and work there. And maybe one to two sessions during the week, maybe just some super light, like all the dude bra hypertrophy, higher rep stuff that's not going to beat you up too bad and, you know, getting in and out of the gym in like 45 minutes or some short period of time. Uh, some clients I've used uh, just very simple uh, blood flow restriction. So you're applying like, um, I mean, the fancy word is uh, katsu training, but you can just take like a, for upper body, you can take a pair of knee wraps and cut them in half, wrap that around, 
you can do reps of you know 30 and then 15 and 15 and 15. So you can do just two upper body exercises or two lower body exercises. You know, it doesn't take more than sometimes 15 minutes at max or less. Uh, so that may be useful and you don't need much. Usually you're looking at using 30% of your one rep max. So Mike, sometimes you can use a bar with a few weights. So you mean uh, when you say wrap it around, you mean so not completely occlude, but partly partly pinch down the blood flow like at the armpit then like at, at your or your legs like where your legs meet your body at the inguinal crease or, yep. yep yeah exactly yeah you want it to be kind of tight but if you start losing sensation that's way too tight mm -hmm. uh, so you just yeah exactly that you're technically working to kind of slow down or stop the venous side not the arterial side if your arms and legs turn purple you've gone way too tight <laughs> Um, yeah, so you're just trying to get a little bit more of that metabolic stress there. Um, and then I would think on his week off, maybe take the one day to try to recover, get, you know, sunlight exposure in the AM, you know, things to try to reset the circadian rhythm because he's going to be flipping back uh, to days again. And then I would try to progressively do more and more training throughout the, the week and then see how that goes and see how he makes progress there. Okay. Yeah. I, I would say get a hold on your sleep as best as possible. Yeah, melatonin, yeah. Uh, light exposure, right? Photobiology is a thing. Yep. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about some uh, mild occlusion training, uh, even speed work, I found that when I feel really mm -hmm. beat up, you know, you can put some 30% loads on and uh, 30 to 50% maybe. Uh, it depends on the lift, I suppose, but... Um, and focus on just maximal, like, dynamic type stuff. Move that bar without necessarily all the weight. Just some variety, some type of undulating training, you know, um, mesocycles. Uh, design your training around your lifestyle a little bit, I would think. But, uh, Phil, what do you think? Do you have people like this that work swing shift or, or deal with fatigue? It's not, not usually that long, but I have firefighters and nurses that might be on for yeah. days in a row. And then they're off for three or four days. Usually what I would say, I mean, is that first day off, take it off and try yeah. and get as much as you can. You know, don't come in your first day off and be like, okay, time to kill it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that day off and try and get well rested and then, then come hit it for a few days. So, Okay. Yeah. Practical. Sounds good. Okay. Well, I hope that helps, Neil. Uh, I know you've got even so some other questions and they were quite good. So I'll take a look at some more of those in the future. Um, I have two legal-related news tidbits here. We should get Rick Collins on again. Um, this first one is from someone named Julia, and she contacted Rob. And I'm going to be a little vague with this because I'm not sure what's going on with this exactly. Hello, Robert. As you may recall, several years ago, you and your team wrote several articles to appear on our site. So they have a very large bodybuilding website. Um, We'd love to keep using those articles, but we need to have a release signed so we can keep doing so. And then ask a few other things. Um, so Rob just sends me an email that says, dude, with a question mark. That's like typical fortress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm just very curious about this. I just thought I would bring it up because it's something that we got in that was um, related, right, to what we do. So I don't know what's going on with this. I mean, anything that we had written years ago um, – like this, this looks like stuff that's 15 years old. And it makes me think about what you said, Mike, about wanting to just burn some of your old, like 80% of your original <laughs> stuff, you know? So I'm thinking my gut reaction to this is I don't have any interest in, in reprinting a lot of that stuff. It'd be old, it would be less relevant, um, you know, and probably not our best stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure what, what that's all about. So interesting. Uh, stuff. I, it does suggest, though, I, I thought it might be instructive, maybe, or informative to listeners. A lot of times, websites, they republish stuff. I've seen my articles on websites I had no idea, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mind it as much with the podcasting. If it, People, you know, you can use Creative Commons terms or whatever you want, but I don't care if people redistribute Iron Radio, for example, the audio. Lots of podcatcher-type software and podcast sites want to do that. That's fine. I mean, because it's clearly us, right? It's not like r the written word, which is a little bit more vague as to, you know, a little less obvious maybe where it's coming from. But we're constantly talking about Iron Radio and it's our voices and, and that sort of thing. So with podcasting, it's less of an issue. But, yeah, there's a lot of recycling 
of articles on the internet, and this is just indicative of that, I think. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Something can be 10 or 15 years old. Some of the research uh, that I talk about in the classroom, for example, goes, it, it could go all the way back to like 1901. I mean, not kidding, like with, a, you know, indirect calorimetry, you know, figuring out your resting metabolic rate and things like that. So good science is good science, but gosh, in sports nutrition and in uh, strength and conditioning and stuff, um, things move pretty fast. So, yeah, I guess in one sense I'm suggesting readers or consumers of this kind of material just know that your stuff, it, it could have been taken and recycled from other other sites, and maybe it's not even as new as it looks, you know, with the, re, with the reprint. So. Um, the other legal... Sometimes you unfortunately get the reprint without your name on it. It's happened to me a few times. <laughs> oh, yeah, they'll yeah, leave off the byline, and then you're like, hey, guys... Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This other one uh, is more of an announcement. Uh, this is from Nash Natural Products Insider. This is brand new, but uh, mid-month, so November 15th, it's coming up very soon. Um, it says register for this live event. I just thought I would toss this out because it's in if you're interested in dietary supplements at all, um, it's called... Dietary Supplement Adverse Event Reporting, a 10-Year Perspective and Review. So this is a webinar. You don't have to go anywhere in person. Um, and again, put on by the guys at Natural Products Insider and CRN. But basically, it talks about FDA's decision in December of last year to make public their adverse event reporting system. So this was very controversial, listeners, if you're, if you're not familiar, but... There was this sort of anonymous way to report adverse events from your dietary supplements. And there were critics who were saying, oh, I don't like that this is anonymous. If the FDA wants something off the market or if they want to control it, they could almost literally just make these adverse events up, right? Because it's protected, it's anonymous, and sort of just trump up or exaggerate the, the negative effects of dietary supplements, that sort of thing. But it says... The FDA is trying to become more transparent about it, however. It says, however, the public availability of this adverse event data could increase a company's risk of litigation if it's not properly interpreted or put into context. Um, and I think we all know that. We've gotten lots of listener mail over the years where people are like, I like that you guys cover the news, and then you discuss it some, right? Like, what's, what does it mean? And, and things of that nature. So... Um, I can see what they're saying. If they just make all of this, they dump, like, data dump onto the public web, all of these adverse events, it might be important to know that this was in who? You know, were they on other meds? You know, what's the background behind all this? Is it a certain dose or is there a, you know, a sourcing thing? There's lots of things to consider. Um, and then apparently this, this webinar also talks about, it says, in addition, a recent study in the Journal of Medical Toxicology misinterpreted poison control center data providing inaccurate pictures of the dietary supplement industry. So if you're interested mm -hmm. in dietary supplements or the way they're regulated, it says live webinar November 15th at 2 p.m. So you might want to just Google that, Natural Products Insider, Dietary Supplement Adverse Event Reporting. We're not affiliated with these guys in any way. It's just interesting. It's, it says they're going to cover an overview of adverse event reporting laws and requirements for dietary supplement businesses. They're going to hear the FDA's perspective on these, you know, what used to be sort of protected anonymous adverse event reports. So you get the idea. Somebody could say, I, I took creatine and, and I realized that's a steroid, you know, and, <laughs> and it rotted my kidneys out, you know. And, and then how do you interpret that sort of thing? And, and yeah, you do need to have some type of reporting system because there is a lot of crap on the market, right? And people, especially, I, my concern is usually, frankly, with botanicals. You know, these are... Uh, many pharmaceuticals are created out of, you know, different phytochemicals and botanical type things. And I don't know, in my experience, though, most dietary supplement companies, they use low enough doses that it's not super scary, but there are real adverse events sometimes. And so you need some system. So if you're interested in the safety of dietary supplements, this might be for you. I, I don't have a cost on here. I don't know if it's free. I'm just letting people know. It's just a news tidbit. So. Yeah, and one thing on that too is that a lot of times they report the sheer numbers. So, for example, if you're a pretty big supplement company selling whatever, you know, odds are you're probably going to have some stuff that pops up on there. Just 
you know, maybe legitimate related to the supplement, as you mentioned, may not be. Um, but if you're a smaller company, just by fact, the sheer volume that you haven't sold as much, you know, you're less likely to show up on there too. So it's kind of mm-hmm. potentially skewed towards uh, volume, right? So you may have something like creatine you mentioned that's more, I'd say, innocuous or very low side effects that's distributed by a large company. You may see more things compared to you know, maybe some weird, nutty, hardcore, scary supplement that's, you know, only gone out to maybe a few thousand instead. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's yeah. ironic, but after consulting with different supplement and farm companies over the years, pharmaceutical type stuff, uh, the supplement companies, they will create the dose of a pill. It's not always based on the safety and efficacy data, but on the price point <laughs> right. of the bottle, right? Like, they don't if if the effective dose in the literature is more than you know if it's going to make the bottle cost two hundred dollars they're not going to use that if effective dose or that published literature type of dose in all cases they could figure out how much you know they have an idea on the price point of a bottle and they'll dose it according to price point like we don't want this bottle to cost more than thirty dollars go and then they they say how much of this you know substance they're going to use sometimes so at least that's been my experience in talking with some of these guys so uh, it's not always based on safety and efficacy but on price point and again the irony of this is that oftentimes things are underdosed right because the less less of the substance you put in a pill or in a bottle the more profit you can make essentially um that would be the temptation at least so yeah, things are sometimes dosed in a, in a bit of a willy-nilly kind of way and not always by the most educated person, you know, or, or there's a business influence. So, yeah. Yeah. And last comment on that, too. I was at the NSCA CBT conference in Anaheim, California last weekend, and uh, Dr. Chris Lockwood gave a really cool talk on, on uh, the regulation that goes on in the dietary supplements industry, too. So I not sure if that one was live streamed or not, but you may be able to find a recording of that too. But it was uh, lots of great points in there about what actually has to go on to you know, bring a supplement to market. Right. I mean, we could ask Sean Casey to come back on. He knows because he started a dietary yeah. supplement line. And it's not quite as shocking. Like when you watch Bigger, Stronger, Faster, yeah. it makes it look <laughs> like, like you could oh just my God. Yeah, bottle shit in your kitchen table with a couple of buddies. And it's not so much like that anymore. There's... I can, I can tell you, I mean, I've actually consulted, it, my job was to create like an evidence dossier, you know, like a, a folder of published safety mm-hmm. and efficacy studies, and, and that's just one example of many. There's, there's quite a few hoops that people have to go through. It's not, you don't just stuff herbs into little gel caps on your kitchen table anymore, so. Uh, okay, a couple of quick news tidbits before we get to uh, Phil. I really want to just sort of interview Phil today, mostly Phil. We can all chime in, of course, in our discussion kind of way uh, as far as getting ready for a meet because Phil's just about to do this. But a couple of quick news tidbits. This first one from labroots.com. This is by Kara Marker. It says, revealed the skin's power to regulate blood pressure and heart rate. Some people may forget that the skin is the human body's largest organ. Lots of diverse functions. Uh, It says, now researchers realize regulating blood pressure and heart rate is one of those functions. So that got my attention. It says, let's see, um, like it's it's not exactly clear why people get high blood pressure, right? A lot of people are familiar with the term uh, essential hypertension. So this goes on to say that if everything from altitude, pollution, smoking, obesity, all these different things can influence your blood pressure. And so it's really no wonder why most people with hypertension, right? They're on multiple hypertension meds, high blood pressure meds, uh, beta blockers and diuretics and ACE inhibitors and all these things. Uh, it's hard to get things under control oftentimes, and so th- we don't know a ton about exactly what causes high blood pressure. So this says, by examining the skin instead of other organs classically studied in the context of blood pressure and blood flow, such as the brain, heart, and kidneys, the present study yields unique findings. Uh, it says, when a tissue is oxygen deficient, the body redirects blood flow as a response. This mechanism is highly regulated by a family of proteins called HIF. Essentially, they used mouse knockout models and different levels of oxygen and things like that to see uh, what kind of blood pressure responses they could get. It says they saw that when mice lacked one of two HIF skin proteins, the response to low oxygen levels changed compared to the mice that have sufficient amounts of these proteins. 
and it impacted their heart rate, their blood pressure, and their skin temperature. And then here's a quote. Um, Our skin's response to low levels of oxygen may have substantial effects on how the heart pumps blood around the body, explained first author Dr. Andrew Coburn. And it says this was published in the journal E-Life. I'm not familiar with E-Life, but um, it does say source, University of Cambridge. So um, interesting that your skin Mm. may be itself directing um, blood flow around the body. So, you know, we hear so much about NO products and that sort of thing. And, now you know, watch some dietary supplement line come along and start selling, like, HIF proteins or something as if you could swallow them, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So... Um, still, it's interesting, right? Because blood flow, lifters are interested in blood flow. I mean, that's how you get nutrients and oxygen. And Mike, you've been looking at uh, that sort of stuff lately, working with people, right? About yeah. localized blood flow changes and, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And when I was in the lab, we did something called FMD or flow mediated dilation, where we would actually put a cuff on your lower arm and we'd take an ultrasound and, and image the, the brachial in the upper arm. So we would occlude blood for quite a while or pretty close to it, and then we would release it all of a sudden. So I had this little button that would release all the pressure. And of course, you've got all this blood flow that flows in, which causes sheer stress on the vessel. Mm-hmm. And then we would measure how much the vessel would dilate. So we're looking at that in terms of changes in relation to energy drinks and other stuff. Um, but what's interesting about that is that they were using that as a proxy for possibly trying to distinguish Uh, who's at a greater cardiac risk. So obviously doing that on the cardiac vessels is not going to be something you want to do on a human nor be very easy to do. Um, But your vessels, right, so a body-wide structure, maybe we can get access to one in the arm and see how well can this vessel dilate in response to a a localized effect. Um, So the theory being that if it can uh, dilate better, then you're probably at a less risk of having a MI. So myocardial infarction or classically called a heart attack. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What's fascinating about that is a lot of it is very much local control, right? So you've got sort of systemic type things in your body that help regulate things. Uh, but a lot of those things, because of tissue right next to where the blood's coming by, has to may not attain oxygen or it's going to die. There's all sorts of local controls there that are actually the, the main thing doing the work. Right. Yep. And I don't know. It is curious to me, this this paper from Coburn et al., you know, the the skin itself is playing a role. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of novel stuff. So we'll see where that goes. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, The last thing I have, I'm going to fire through. Uh, This is a few headlines, and I'm going to encourage people to go to the source. So the IFT, the Institute of Food Technologists Wellness Newsletter, Uh, Mike and I were at IFT uh, back in, I don't know what, July, I guess, uh, in Vegas. Um, And so they have a really handy wellness newsletter. Now, if you go to the Institute of Food Technologists, there's a lot of very esoteric chemistry about ingredients and, you know, oh, gosh, the the texture of food and different solubility and, you know, a lot of stuff that may be less – fascinating to our listeners but the wellness newsletter they put out can be quite good it's sort of a shop around the industry and what's happening here's one again i'm just going to highlight these and have you go google the ift wellness newsletter but fda proposes to revoke claim that soy protects the heart the u.s food and drug administration has announced a proposal to revoke an authorized health claim for soy protein and heart disease the agency has been responsible for evaluating health claims on packaged food since 1990 uh, and has to date only authorized 12 such health claims. So in my perspective, my bias maybe, is soy was so big. I mean, they were underwriting a bunch of conferences. You know, the dietitians were really on board in years past and that sort of thing. And it seems to me like soy is getting bashed more and more. You know, it doesn't support muscle protein synthesis like a lot of complete proteins like you'll see in um, dairy proteins, you know, whey and casein and that sort of thing. Uh, There were some concerns about soy and breast cancer because some of the phytochemicals, right? Um, Anyway, so now the FDA is actually proposing to revoke their heart protection claim. Wow. Um, so hard times for soy, maybe. Um, <laughs> this next one, 
child and teen obesity soars tenfold worldwide in 40 years. According to Reuters, a new World Health Organization study published in The Lancet, so this is the big boys, everybody, uh, shows that the number of obese children and adolescents worldwide has jumped tenfold in 40 years and is accelerating in low and middle income countries, especially in Asia. I don't think that's surprising. Um, we have a very hyper insulinemic kind of food industry. You know, the, everything's refined carbohydrates, cheap refined carbs, sugars, you know, oils. Anyway, um, let's see what else do we have here that could be interesting. Wild blueberries may enhance task functions in children. Consuming a flavonoid-rich wild blueberry beverage may enhance executive function in 7 to 10-year-olds, according to a study published in Food and Function. Uh, that, to give some perspective on that, I can tell you, I have seen data before that um, those anthocyanins, the blue and blueberries, right, uh, may have neurological effects. And I speculated for years that some groups like powerlifters that are really interested in nervous system recovery and not just, you know, tissue soreness and hypertrophy, uh, they might do well to eat plenty of blueberries. I eat blueberries several times a week, actually, mixed berries and blueberries. So here's one that it may help with executive function in kids. So, again, the journal is Food and Function. Two more. Uh, black and green tea may decrease weight gain and alter your microbiome. An animal study published in the European Journal of Nutrition suggests polyphenols from black and green tea may induce weight loss by altering the microbiota and increasing, oh goodness, uh, it's a hepatic AMPK uh, activity. So particular enzyme, liver enzyme. So altering liver function essentially and the microbiota. So black and green tea. Uh, I think our listeners know that, that green tea has been sold for ages as a potential like uh, metabolic rate in, enhancer. I mean, I was just looking at some data just a week or two ago that the EGCG in green tea may raise norepinephrine levels, right? Get a little bit of stimulant like uh, fight or flight response going. Um, so, yeah, but this is just a mechanism between black and green tea helping with weight gain. And again, there's a microbiome again, right? Gut bacteria. We predicted this would be all over the news uh, in one of our January episodes in years past, and it, it sure has. Last one, dietary supplement use in the U.S. hits an all-time high. Dietary supplement use among adults in the U.S. Uh, reaches an all-time high with 76% reporting they consume supplements, up five points from last year's results, according to a survey commissioned by the Council for Responsible Nutrition. So there's CRN again. I was just talking about one of their um, webinars. So that is some of the highlights. For, and again, the, go check out the IFT Wellness uh, newsletter. I am a member of that group, but we're not affiliated financially in any way. Just thought people might want to check out the headlines. Okay. Having said that, I think it's about time for break. When we come back, we're going to do some uh, Power Meet talk and um, ask Phil a few things because he's just on the cusp of pushing some heavy weights. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You can simply Google CRC Press and Lowry and what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks.
I can't stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or click the Donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's Lonnie and Mike and Phil, and we're going to have some just gym talk uh, about competitions, uh, powerlifting competitions. Phil is just on the cusp of one. Um, in fact, let's set the stage, Phil. So when is your meet? Um, where? You know, maybe some of that kind of stuff. My meet is a week from today. So I weigh in a week from yesterday. Uh, I weigh in next Friday, and then we lift on Saturday. It's in Northern California at CSA Gym. Anybody who doesn't know that, that's where uh, Jesse Burdick and the Prevail Power Lifting team are at. It's yeah. the Re- Reebok Record Breakers meet. So okay. uh, they usually give out money to any record that has been broken at the meet. I forgot how many have been broken there over the years, but quite a few. Um, pretty much it's a meet where the biggest of the big all come together and try to break. I mean, the sole reason is to try and break records. So, oh, cool. <laughs> and then he, he does a good job because it's a fairly big meet. So you'll see and it's open to anybody. So it's not just invite. Like I forget the name of the one that the open that was not too long ago was just an invite meet. But you'll see several flights of people. So there'll be a before flight that is uh, uh, more regular Joe's, you know, people getting into lifting for the first time and things like that. And then they're able to compete alongside uh, higher level people. That's cool. So come back. That's know. awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty neat meet, and uh, you know I'm bringing a, a, a fairly large group of people out there, and uh, see how we can do. So right on. So yeah, th- that's very cool. Because I was I was going to ask how high end is it, but it's high end. Yeah, but it weaves in some boy. How motivating, right? For uh, sort of the the novices to be able to lift alongside well, these. I, I, last year I went. I was I spectated, and that's uh, talking to some of the novices. It was like this is amazing because I get a lift beside you know. Right. Yeah. Here's JP Price squatting a thousand five, and they mm-hmm. lift in the flat for him. So yeah, that's cool. Okay. Like that. All right. Well, 
I, I thought this would be a good chance to kind of pick your brain. Um, and some of this, these might be sort of hard to put you on the spot, but people know we don't spend a ton of prep time on this. We just yeah. basically, you know, not our first rodeo. So um, yeah. what's your general philosophy when it comes to meats? Do you have one? As far as what? As far as preparing <laughs> for it. Like, yeah. like how do you... Uh, how do you get ready? How do you get your people ready? Does that differ? Uh, you know, what do you like people to focus on? Yeah, I'm way different now than, than my clients. Like none of my clients train like me. I have a few more. I'm going to try more of this with. Um, but due to I'm, I'm a, a, I'm a very individual person that has very individual problems. Uh, there's not many people that have all the replacement parts and everything that I do. <laughs> right. Um, or the, the, the years spent under the bar. So, um, Basically, my prep for this has been different than it's ever been before. Um, basically, all my training is done one day a week, uh, and that's it for, for this meet. Um, I, I got some bench in on another day, but that has has even tapered away. Part of that's mm. due to how busy I am. The other part of that is due. I tried going back to my usual three- or four-day split and uh, to start prep for this. And uh, I was just hurting all the time. So uh, basically what what happened was like having a deadlift day and then a squat day, especially those two, they both sucked because I was always hurting. So basically I was getting two very subpar days. And by moving everything to one day, I get one really good day. And in my mind, one good day is much better than two shitty days. So it's not yeah. always the it's, – it's very much a quality over quantity type of a training philosophy. Okay. Yeah. So uh, now you did mention tapering, but how do you taper from one day? <laughs> Just uh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, all I do is you know my my lifts have slowly. And the first thing for me on this meat prep was um, making sure my mobility was there, um, that I got some volume in. A big thing of mine, my last meet, which was the first one in several years, was in March, and I cut down to two thirty for that. Right. I'm 276 today. Yeah, so different so, person. Yeah, uh, you're just a different guy. <laughs> yeah, so I'm 46 pounds heavier than I was six months ago. So a big part of that early on was getting some volume and the volume that I can handle um, early on. So I wasn't just adding on 40 pounds of blub. Uh, right. So it's getting some volume in, making sure that my hip had the mobility uh, because that's still kind of an issue with the hip replacement and the hamstring uh reattachment is just making sure I can get depth things like that so I spent a lot of time in a box on a box and kind of also relearning the squat because now I can go I was super narrow uh, before my hip replacement because I squatted I squatted 650 on a hip that needed replaced um, yeah. and it was super yeah. narrow so I needed to relearn that and now I'm not super wide but I'm wider than I was um, oh, yeah. same thing with my deadlift my feet used to be like an inch apart and now they're a little wider um, so I was re relearning some of that, relearning some bracing. I got lots of volume in. What I started doing is I'm getting my volume in over sets rather than uh, in one set. So it was lots of sets of twos and threes and things like that. I didn't go much over a set of five at all through this whole prep. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and the last, oh, the last four weeks has been nothing but singles. Um, so which is pretty normal for what I have people do. Okay. I mean because you have to get. I mean, the last month, <laughs> there is no rep two, you know, in, in powerlifting. If you can't get rep one right, you're in trouble. So, and you see that a lot with people. I'll see a lot of people, like, they hit rep one. It's like, oh, that was kind of messed up. And then they're able to correct it for rep two. Well, we can't do that because there is no rep yeah. two in a power. Right. So we have to get lots of work at making rep one perfect. Um, yeah, so basically it's that. And then, you know, I would go, let's say I get done squatting 655 like I did last week. Like literally five minutes later, I'm pulling 405 for a deadlift as my first warm up, mm. um, mm -hmm. and then work up to 650 on that as well. Um, a big part of that is uh, I never went over. So I, pl I plan on going seven uh, in deadlift at this meet, but I never went over 650. But I hit 650 with like within 15 or 20 minutes of squatting 650. So. <laughs> At a meet, that should make it easy because basically I'll, I'll have a squat and then I'll have like two hours, then a bench, and then two hours, and then a deadlift. <laughs> I'll have four hours removed there to rest and recover from the squat before I have to deadlift. 
So, and I'm used to doing it 15 minutes later. Uh, yeah. So I'm hoping that, that, that pans out, uh, into that. But. Okay. Well, let me ask you, um, then we were, I was just mentioning how, you know, n this is not your first rodeo. How is, how has your philosophy changed over the years? I mean, you're trying something radically different with yourself, for example. Um, when you first started competing yourself or working with clients, uh, was it different than what you do now with yourself or with clients? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, everything's changed over the years. Yeah. How I mean, so? I think, I think just uh, we've, I've been able to over the years, you know, figure out how to, how to, how to peak the clients the best in the beginning. It was kind of a guessing game and going off what I've seen other people's do people do. And now, I mean, I have a very set out plan that usually works for about everybody to where I know when we're going to be hitting triples. I know when we're going to be hitting the max triples. And then I know when we're going to be getting good at singles and, and up to the meet. And then, uh, basically we back off the deadlift before we back off any of the other two lifts because it, uh, it has a tendency to hang with you and beat you up a little longer mm -hmm. than the squat and the bench. So right. we'll pull it off about three weeks out. We do our last heavy deadlift, um, our last really heavy deadlift. And then, you know, we do our last, like today, I'll do my last heavy squat and I'll do some light deadlifting. Um, so that has kind of changed over the years. Whereas, you know, I think early on it was like, okay, pulling heavy all the way up to the end. And, you know, I realized that, there's become more of a realization that I don't need to, if my, I plan to squat 700 in the meat, I don't need to squat 700 in the gym. Um, I need to move 600 really fast. You know? Okay. Yeah. And, and I can, I, I know, I know it's there by how that feels and how that moves without taking the chance to beat myself up or come in injured and things like that. I mean, my number one things for clients is let's, let's not hurt. You know, if we can come into a meet and we've been moving things quickly um, yeah, let's do it. I mean, there's no, there's no need in going for that. The only day to go for that 105% is meat day. It doesn't count in the gym. I mean, gym lifts just don't count. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's the grand scheme of things. But I mean, that's not saying like I had a uh, client last night who is five weeks out from a meet and pulled a conventional deadlift PR, but she pulled it quickly. You know, okay. we moved up. To, if the iron's hot and I'm seeing somebody, they've made great gains over that uh period and i'm seeing that bar move fast we're going to take some shots up uh because i don't want to leave i don't want to leave 50 pounds on the table because yeah. she's supposed to be able to deadlift 320 but she can actually deadlift 350 well i want to take 350 then so because she's five we weeks out right. on bar speed she's far enough out that you can do that still right at five weeks yeah, yeah. Take some shots based on bar speed like if if she's projected i need her to hit 290 today and that flies and it's super easy. Well, we're going to take a couple stabs up, you know, mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. not, it, even the 315 wasn't a grinder. It still moved fast, but we stopped there. I was like, yeah, oh, that's plenty heavy. You know, that's, that's more, that's 15 pounds more than you've pulled. Uh, let's practice that now for a few weeks. See how that goes. Okay. So. Well, having said that then, cause I sort of the art of it, right. As you're watching about striking when the iron's hot and everything, uh, is there a ballpark like when you'd stop doing triples is that like six weeks out you're going to stop and switch to singles or, or how does that work? Yeah, I usually have, I, I personally, and I, people are different on this. I base everybody's opener on something they can triple. <clears throat> I'm a big fan of opening super easy and I'm a big fan of taking big jumps. Um, so basically we'll do like in squat. Most everybody would do their max triple about, Three weeks out from the meet, maybe okay. four. Okay. And then our job from there on, after we figure that out, now our job up to the meet is just getting good at singles at that triple weight because that's what we're going to open with. Um, so we just need to be able to good, get really good at doing a weight that we did for a really hard triple for singles up to the meet. Okay. And that'll be our opener. And then we base our jumps on that. Usually if it's a lifter that I've had for a while, if it's a new lifter, well, I mean, we, I just base it in the meat, their, their attempts on, on what it looks like. Um, if it's a, a lifter I've had for a while, generally, unless they've had a really good training cycle and they're smoking things, generally the second attempt is a PR, something they've never done in a meat. Um, um, all right. So 
what about now i you said you're unique right so you're a veteran and that sort of thing so i i always feel like i have to ask you versus you know what you would do with a client but what typically goes through your head in the last week and then what typically goes through the heads of your your team or your clients in that last week any insights generally i'm just pretty relaxed and uh ready for the meat to be here i mean at this point like what i'm tired of doing is eating because like i said i'm 40 some pounds heavier than i was and even my face feels fat so i'm ready i'm ready to get it done and, and not eat but uh mm-hmm. you know and i know at this point for me it's just it's just rest recover move around a little bit and get ready to go um for them, a lot of them are getting nervous and things like that. So it's getting them to settle down and realizing that, no, we don't need to come in this next week and really push it hard because that's going to do nothing but send us backwards. And they, oh, I need to come in and fix that, fix this. <laughs> no, you're fine. You know, <laughs> go sit down, you know, and I'll have them come in and move around in the gym uh, the week of the meet. It used to be that I had them take the week off. It's like, go away. I don't want to see you. Um what usually happened with that is people ended up getting a little tight and sore. And uh, so I'll have them come in and we'll move around with like 25% for some sets of three, mm-hmm. you know, just, just to keep them mobile uh, and, and not tighten up. Cause I mean, I, some of the worst soreness I get is if I don't train for an extended period of time, uh, it's, it's like you just get sand in your joints or something. I don't know. But uh, so they'll come in and move around and it's just keeping them in a good mental state. Uh, for me, I mean, I've played the meat out at this point. I've played my attempts out in my head a thousand times, and I've made them all. And I'm very 100% confident of what I'm going to do. I have my plan, and my training is lined up, and I'm 100% confident I can do it. So I'm pretty comfortable, and I, I know what I'm going to go in and do. Um, mm-hmm. So, And it's trying to get them to that point. I think, I think beginning lifters don't realize how big, of, uh, how big the mental game is getting your head on your own side. Basically, if you don't, if you don't a hundred percent believe if you're going up for a big attempt and you're thinking in your head, man, this, I don't have this. You probably don't have it. Whereas, I mean, it sounds, it's cliche or whatever, but I've played out a 700 pound squat in my head a thousand times and I've played it out to where I crush it. And I'm going to approach that bar. And I know from the way my training has felt from the way 655 pounds felt last week, I'm going to do that. And I have no doubt. And I'll go under that bar and I'll have no doubt, okay, I'm going to sit down with this and stand up. So, right. Uh, and that's a very comfortable feeling. And that's some, that's a feeling that many of new lifters don't get. Um, a lot of them don't want me to tell them what, I, what they're attempting and things like that. And it's like, no, I want to know. I want to know that I'm going for what I wanted, you know, uh, because I have a goal in my head and, and I know I can get it. So. Right. Now, I, you do admittedly have the advantage. I mean, a beginner could visualize things and that's got to help. But you're also, you've lived through many meets and i think i mean this might seem obvious but nothing builds confidence like experience you know yeah. so oh yeah so you know what works and you've actually been successful like physically for real like here's your trophy fill kind of thing right and that's got to help that's got to help too and that's something that a noob just doesn't have for sure and that's one thing that worries me about this meet with some of my lifters it's and uh it's it's going to be their first time on a stage like this um Mm-hmm. Where, I mean, like last year, I don't know if he's going to be this year, but he probably will. Last year, the head judge was Ed Cohn. I mean, so you're talking about you're going to be going in to meet. You're going to fucking unrack a bar and look at Ed Cohn. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, you got the greatest of all time staring in the face ready to tell you squat or no squat. Right, with a flat so, look. Like, <laughs> so what do you got? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, well, fuck, great. You know, I got to I gotta do a squat in front of this guy. Right. But, uh. You know, I'm comfortable with that, but I've I've seen Ed in a, twenty different times in my life, sure. and I've and, you know I've been around Mark and Jesse and all these guys that are going to be there. Whereas a lot of these people have never met those people, and it, they're going to be a little starstruck at the same time. Right. Like, oh, I don't want to look stupid in front of Mark Bell. He's sitting there watching me squat. Um, right. Yeah. Things like that. So, uh, um, Mike, Mike, let me ask you: You've done a lot of mindset type things. Is any yeah. of this stuff echoing uh, with what y- you teach people in that regard? Yeah, I mean, very similar. I mean, uh, I've done a couple of meets and competitions, and oh god, the first couple of ones, I was such a, a mental like just disaster. It was scary. Um, yeah, and I think exactly what you said. It's it's hard to try to 
get people to envision the positive when if you don't have that experience it's like your brain just wants to go down these rabbit holes of everything that could be bad um, and then also how can you test that in terms of a simulation type training so one of the questions i had for phil is do you when you're talking about you know looking at ed Cohn and stuff i had this visualization of walking into Phil's gym and having his new lifters and Phil pulls out his chair and sits in front of him and takes this little like um, Ed Cohn's head on a stick and sticks it in front of his face or <laughs> you know <laughs> something like that like trying to do do you do any type of simulation type training with them like I, longer rest periods between flights or or how do you work that in I guess um I mean I I honestly purposely will mess with my lifters at times on on purpose half of it's out of fun just because I'm sure. a jackass, but because uh, <laughs> you know you never know what's going to happen. So I mean, yeah. they'll be right, and I'll jump in front of them and be like, Bleh! you know, and it's like, okay, you got to hit this shit, you know, yeah, because uh, you don't know, never never know what's going to happen. You know, something may happen in a meet that throws you off, and you have to be ready. Like like last week, I was getting ready, and I don't know why, but like all in one attempt for six oh five, you know. I'm going, my knee wrap pops off. Boom, the radio shuts down. Like the, the breaker blew on the radio. And it's like, well, shit. You know? And it's like, okay, well, I still got to go. You know, I didn't stop it. It was like, because in a meet, I mean, it's like, yeah. things might like that. And you have to be able to settle your head in and still be able to take that attempt. You know, you may be walking up the platform and trip and fall. They're not going to stop the meet. You still have your two-minute clock. You mm -hmm. need to get up and make that lift. Uh so you've got to be comfortable with that. You got to know that hey, things happen, and you have to really, you have to have a really short-term memory. Um, if you miss, you have to forget that. And uh, you know, I try and get them to think about their training. You know, you if you just do it right, it's there. You know, that's it. You know, so concentrate on just doing it right. Don't think about the things that can go wrong. If I do this, and because usually everybody has one or two cues. That that's all we need to do to do this right because everything else at this point is automatic you know if we've done enough training just get your cues right and it's there you know that's it don't worry about the things that could potentially go wrong let's let's mess with what you can control and make it happen so right yeah i would think there'd be a real risk of overthinking like foot, oh, yeah, plate, big time. foot placement mm -hmm. bar placement you know posture where are my eyes looking there's so many there and you like you said you almost have to be like a just sort of a, a Jedi, <laughs> just feel it, right? Don't think that's it. Really, yeah. At this point, you know, I won't be, I'm at the point in training, I don't think at all. I know exactly what I'm going to do when I go up to the bar. I have one cue, and it's the cue that I've been working on that I've changed a little bit, because since my hip, I've changed to be more of a high bar squatter. So I changed my back positioning a little bit. I have that one cue, and if I make that happen, the lifts that are hard for me, it's when I don't make that happen. If I make that one thing happen, I know I'm going to smoke all these lists. I see. You know? mm -hmm. That's all I <laughs> That's part of the training, too, is to getting people down to what is the one biggest thing for them. Right? Yes. So the running joke I've used for a while, and I, I think I may have stole this from Chad Waterbury years ago, is that, okay, if you go up to back squat, and before you back squat, I'm going to tell you to start counting backwards from 100 by prime numbers. As you're squatting, you're like, whoa, it's just... You know, you don't need all that other, you know, chatter going through your brain. It's, you know, figure out the the one thing that is for you, whatever cue that is. Usually external cues work a little better. And then just kind of focus on that, too. And, you know, I've done similar stuff with other lifters and said just, you know, have your handler there. You know, make sure it's someone you trust. They're you know, responsible for getting you into the place, all that other kind of stuff. And then you just... In between, you know, if you've finished all your three attempts for squat, go lay down, go relax, put headphones in, belly breathe. Just, you don't need to be amped up for like eight hours a day. You're just going to die by the time yeah. you get to the end. Yeah. Makes sense. That's the other huge one that's hard to deal with with newer lifters. Yeah. They are way too amped up. Like, uh, at this last meet, they were all like, what are you doing? I went and weighed in. And showed up to me, and then I literally I go lay down in the corner, man. And I'll yeah. I fell asleep at one point, but it was like I don't live for three hours, man. <laughs> I'm gonna take yeah. a nap. <laughs> I won't watch all these guys, and you'll see them. They'll be sitting there watching and yelling and screaming for for the two flights before them. It's like you're just wearing yourself out. You need to go relax. Um, 
get out of your head, you know, so I'll get done with squat and then I know I'll have two and a half, three hours. I'll go get something to eat, sit in the car, you know, uh, you just can't stay amped up in that environment all day long or by the time you get to deadlift, you're just done. Exhausted. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I know you can't, you can't just pound five monsters all day and expect to stay up. I mean, it's not going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. Right. Okay. No, I was going to ask best, best practical tips, but I think you guys just covered a lot of those. <laughs> so, no, that's that's good stuff. So, listeners, if you've been thinking about competing, you know, uh, there's there's some case examples for you and some tips and that sort of thing. Um, let me offer just a few last things as we wind down. Um, remember, we're doing our fall funds drive. I wanted to give a special thanks to David, uh, big-time Iron Brother, who supports the show. Thank you. Also, thanks to Sandy, Allen, Vicky. Uh, you're helping us keep the lights on. That's good stuff. We appreciate that. If you don't have funds but you want to support, you can do things like iTunes reviews. Leave a review on iTunes. That really helps a lot uh, in that regard. And I think lastly, I just want to do a sort of a public uh, health shout-out, if you will. Uh, it's Movember. So we have a lot of guys that have plenty of facial hair listening to this show. So remember, November is the month to raise awareness for men's health issues, you know, prostate cancer, testicular cancer, that sort of thing. Every every year, I myself, I I stop shaving in some way. So my, my goatee will, you know, look like a freaking possum sitting on my chin by the end of the month. But um, <laughs> so there's a visual. So, yeah, so think about that, too. You know, maybe... Um, don't touch your facial hair for a month, grow it out, and then make a donation or do something as far as men's health because a lot of times things like prostate and testicular cancer don't get a lot of attention, uh, at least in my opinion. Like you hear a lot about breast cancer and that sort of thing. And I've actually had three students in just the last couple of years that had testicular cancer. So um, remember Movember. And having said that, um, good stuff, and we'll catch up with everyone next time. Yeah. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal if you need something to learn or read or something nutritional you can look in my store uh, Lonnie's store if you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron and if you want something about motivation or daily training Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet, 
or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.